chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. We're going to be talking about today celebrating his risen life. Celebrating his risen life. Now, we've already done Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. By the way, they do it three times. And over in Romania, for those of you who speak Romanian, be kind to me now. They do it this way. Christos Anviat. Adevarat Anviat. <laughs> Somebody got it. Somebody's there. Okay, let me just do it together. We want to do it together? Christos Anviat, that's what I say. And then you say, Adevarat Anviat. Adevarat Anviat. Try it with me. Try it with me. Adevarat Anviat. Y'all are so slow. Come on. Adevarat Anviat. Adevarat Anviat. He's risen indeed. Adevarat Anviat. Okay, we're going to do it. <laughs> this is going to be a mess. <laughs> Christos Anviat. Adevarat. See how easy that is? That's the way they do it in Romania. I'm telling you, when I go over there, the 28th I leave to go for it, and we're doing three conferences over there. And they're dear friends. This is my 26th or 27th time to go over there. Every time I go, and it's around Easter, they just go on for weeks, and they will not let you do it one time, buddy. They get into it. I mean, so you've got into it this morning. All right, celebrating his risen life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Today we're celebrating with Christians all over the world. As a matter of fact, in, in Europe, and especially in Romania, they're their Easter day falls on, on the same day that ours does. I call it Resurrection Sunday, but most people know it as Easter. So it falls on the very same day. Sometimes because of calendar, it falls on different days. So we're together today as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. John chapter 10, verse 10, it's a beautiful passage that Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The words, I came, refers to the fact that Jesus left his throne in glory and literally came to this earth, the very earth that he himself created, John 1, 3. Without him, nothing would have been created. He spoke the world into existence, and then he came into the world as a tiny seed in a mother's womb, the Virgin Mary, as from the tribe of Judah and the line of David. He came as the seed that was promised to Abraham to die for our sins so that we might have eternal life in him. All mankind was born into the bad seed of Adam. And that's not good news. All of every mankind, all of mankind has been born into the bad seed of Adam. And as a result, all of mankind is eternally separated from God, spiritually dead. Not only did they experience physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God. Romans 5.12 defines that, that time. Therefore... Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. So we know that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life. For mankind to ever have a relationship with God, the barrier of sin had to be removed. There's, there was a barrier between us and God. That's why Jesus came. He came to remove the sin barrier by becoming sin for us and dying on the cross. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
His shed blood on the cross satisfied the Father that sin had been dealt with. Up from the grave he arose, proving that his sacrifice was acceptable. Without the resurrection this morning, we would have no Christianity. But he did arrive, witnessed by over 500 people. Then he ascended back to the Father where he reigns as our king and as our high priest. He did what he did for us so that we could have life. Men were spiritually dead. Men are born spiritually dead. He came that we might have life. His life. The verb used in John 10, 10, for have life, I came that you might have life, is in the present tense. Not to just have it one, at one time at salvation, but that we continually have and enjoy his life abundantly. He promised his disciples in John 14, verses 16 through 20, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, you in me, and I in you. I will be in you. Christ desires to live his life in those who by faith receive him into their hearts. Now, it is his very life that Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20. The life that has come to be in Paul, he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, talking about his salvation experience, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is this life that he speaks of in, in Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's his risen life that we come to celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday. But I want to share something. If we have not experienced his life, first of all, at salvation. You see, eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. If we have not received that life into us at salvation, then we can't celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Whatever we're doing is just another holiday and we all gather together. There may even be those this morning that came with family or perhaps friends that you came and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a church can't save you. A prayer cannot save you. It's Jesus that saves you. And you've never bowed before in confessing yourself to be a sinner and crying out to him in desperation and asking him to save you and to come and live in your life, to give you that life that he promised, to give you that spiritual life, that connection with the Father. If you've not experienced that, you can't celebrate. But also, if you're a believer today and you're not experiencing his life, which you can and hopefully you are, you cannot celebrate his life. You cannot celebrate what today represents. And that's what we're going to see in the Scripture this morning. The Apostle Paul celebrated Christ's resurrected life. And boy, did he ever understand. In verses 1 through 6 of Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to put it in my words. Uh, it's not exactly, if you'll look at it, you'll see what I'm talking about. He warns the Philippian believers of those who try to make Christianity a religion of works. These were the legalists, followed him everywhere he would go, always adding something to Jesus. Anytime you add something to Jesus, you take everything away from him. He then tells of his own pious religious life. 
absolutely impotent, but that he once lived before Christ came to live in him. And then in verse 7 through 11 will be our focus text today. He says these words, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In this passage, in verse 7 through 11, we have a wonderful look at how a person celebrates, a believer celebrates the resurrection life, or the life of Christ, the risen life. If we want to truly celebrate Christ's life today, if we're a believer here today, and even a non-believer who you could come to know him today and then learn from this. If, 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 as believers, if we want to celebrate his life, really celebrate it, then there are three things that are going to be involved. Are there more? Yes, there are more. But in this text, three things, hopefully, they'll encourage you, convict. I don't know what it'll do. But my prayer is all of us will come to realize we have this life. He lives in us. We can experience his resurrection power. There are three things. First of all, celebrating his risen life involves never trusting our own ability to live the Christian life. We can't. God never said we could. He can. He always said he would. I borrowed that from Ian Thomas years ago, and that's come back to me over and over and over again. Back in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 3, if you back up a few verses, Paul describes believers by saying, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, now watch, and put no confidence in the flesh. The word flesh refers to, in this context, one's own ability, apart from Christ, to live the Christian life. We don't put any confidence in our flesh. All the good works we think we're doing, we put no confidence. Put no confidence into our own ability. Paul ought to know about trusting his own ability because he lived that way as a religious Pharisee of the Jews. I mean, this is the most religious man that ever walked the face of this earth, other than Jesus himself. He was born a Jew, and as a Jew, he never considered that he was a lost man. Are you kidding? He's part of the elect. What do you mean I'm lost and need to be saved? He had once thought of himself of being a good, righteous man. Listen to his pedigree. This is what he was proud of in verses 5 and 6. Circumcised the eighth day. Boy, he's truly Jewish of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, the strictest sect of all of them, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Now you must understand, there's, the, there's God's law, that's the Ten Commandments. Oh, listen, nobody measures to that. This is the Mosaic law. All the way they ate and dressed and everything they had to do to keep them in, in uniformity until the Lord Jesus could get his humanity from that nation. He was a product of Jewish teaching that had taught him that the more laws that you could do and accomplish in your life of the 613, the more brownie points you got with God, basically. That's the way I'd put it. 
And that, remember, there are 613 laws in the Mosaic law. And what does he say? I've obeyed every one of them. If obedience to the law qualified one in the right standing with God, you couldn't do any better than the Apostle Paul. Then came that providential day. And it's got to happen in all of our lives. He's on his way to persecute Christians, to arrest Christians. It's recorded in Acts 9. And he got arrested by the Christ of Christianity. In an instant, in the glorious presence of Christ, all the confidence and everything he had ever done in his flesh to do anything good for God, all of that vanished forever. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. In the light of Christ's presence, that, that exposes the darkness of our sin. You remember what, Jesus, what was said in John 4? He said, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. Men do not come to the light. Why? Because it exposes the darkness. We're exposed as to what we're not in the light of the presence of Christ. It says in verse 7, and look at the change. But whatever things were gain to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that word gain would have to refer to the spiritual assets that Paul thought he was achieving by obeying the law, being a good man and all that. But on that incredible day, all of his religious resume evaporated in Christ's glorious presence. There's not a thing you can bring to the table when you're in the presence of God. And Philippians 3.8 says more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord, my Lord. That word knowing is not a verb. It, it's the word gnosis, knowledge of the knowledge of my Lord. He didn't have that knowledge before, but because of the Damascus Road, now he knows what he didn't know before, and he counts everything that he's ever done in his life as total loss, except for the value of this knowledge of Christ. This knowledge of Christ that Paul had personally come to experience meant more to him than anything in his life. He goes on and adds, he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. He says all of his good deeds that he accomplished in Judaism as a religious Pharisee, I count them as rubbish, every bit of it. The word rubbish is not a good word to be sharing in the service today, but I'm going to do it. It means excrement, food gone bad, scraps left over after a meal and refuse. It defines that which is worthless. In extra biblical Greek writing, it's the word rubbish was used for a dead corpse or manure. Well, this, is, this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 6. It seemed like nobody seemed to catch. He said, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Paul now, the religious man that he was, obeyed 613 laws of the Mosaic law. Paul now only wanted to know and to experience Christ daily in his life. So that I may gain Christ. The word gain metaphorically here to me would be to have a deeper, more intimate relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know him. This knowledge is now is what the focus of his life is all about. Paul would never again put in any confidence in his well-meaning flesh to do anything spiritually good for God whatsoever. The rest of his life, he would only be boasting about the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ had accomplished in him. Listen to what he says in Romans 15, 17 and 18. 
Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. He didn't used to boast that way. For I will not presume, I will not dare to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's about as clear as you can get it. Christ now was the good in Paul. There was no goodness in Paul apart from Christ. If we're going to celebrate Christ's resurrection, we start by never trusting our ability to live the Christian life. Now, I've shared this story many times, but sometimes it's a little bit more fitting than it is at other times. I played college basketball, and one of the privileges I had and was to play against Artis Gilmore. Artis Gilmore was quite an incredible player. At one time, he was the strongest man in the NBA. He made the NBA Hall of Fame. But I prayed against him when he was a freshman at a junior college before he went to Jacksonville where they had a starting lineup of 7'3", 7'0", and 6'11". Whoa, that just scares me to even say it. And I remember walking out on the floor, and our cheerleaders were trying to, to, to jack the team up and give them some encouragement back when I played, because I'm only 40, but back when I played, <laughs> why'd you laugh? The, the, the cheerleaders wore long skirts and bobby socks, <laughs> and, <laughs> and they didn't look like they could whip you in about five minutes. I, I'm sorry, it's a different day. And as I was walking out, they were going, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can, and the crowd got in with it. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm walking out, this is the biggest human being I've ever seen in my life. His chin is above my head, and I'm the tallest guy on our team. We were all saying to ourselves, no, we can't. I promise you, we cannot, we cannot. I told the referee, just give him the ball, man, just give him the ball. Save a lot of effort. I knew that we couldn't do it. By the way, we, we beat them the first game. Back when I played basketball, which was a while ago, they called three seconds in the lane. They called it. Now, if you've watched any lately, you can put a house number on it and homestead it. I mean, they, they're in there forever. Back then, they called it. So he would run into the lane. That's where he was the most dangerous. And I would get behind him, and another guy would front him. And he couldn't move. He had feet. And he'd stand on the foul line. His feet are out of bounds. I mean, this guy, by the time he turned around, the three seconds had been called, and he couldn't do a thing. So that first game, we beat him. Second game, a little different. I think we held him to 64 points, something like that. But, you know, walking out there, that was, it, was, it was obvious. There's no possible way I can do this. Let me ask you a question. When is it going to come in our lives that we're finally going to understand that we can't live the Christian life in our own power? When are we going to start making Christianity a relationship and not a religion? When are we going to get off of the good work stuff that we think we're doing for God and letting God do the works which were prepared before the foundation of the world that we might walk in them? You see, that's a big difference. It's a shift of thinking. It's an AM to FM. We can't live the Christian life in our own ability. We must realize that. And that's the first step of celebrating his life. That's when we begin to really celebrate what this day means. But then secondly, and it's just like one sentence that I'm breaking into three parts, that instead of trusting our own ability to live the Christian life, we must trust only in his power to live it through us. Look what Paul says in verse 9 and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, righteousness doesn't just refer to 
the position we have in Christ, that's the word righteous, diki. This is the akasenia. It also has the lifestyle God demands. He says, there's no light way I can live this lifestyle that God demands. In my own power, I, I've got to learn to trust his power in me. The lifestyle is only produced by faith alone in Christ alone. It's a lifestyle which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, I grew up, did, some of you grew up when I, maybe you didn't, but do anybody remember back when we had those little envelopes in church? And you had to check whether or not you'd done your daily Bible readings, you check whether or not you, does anybody remember that besides me? Oh, you do. We all lied every week of our life. Because we were told that's what you're supposed to do. I never did any of it, but I checked them off. I didn't want them to know they different. It's going to church. This is what I, I was taught growing up. Going to church, giving to the church, being nice to your neighbor, going on mission trips. They are great things. Do the good things. Listen, they're only good if they're initiated by the Spirit of God that lives within us. Good works means nothing to God unless he produces them in our life. That's what righteousness is. It's that which God looks at and says, that's it. That's of me. I, I look at that and see myself. That's what God's looking for. Good works in themselves do not prove, nor do they produce the lifestyle that God requires in our life. Righteousness takes place only by faith in Christ, which means to totally depend upon him to do through us what we could never do moment by moment by moment by moment. We used to sing that song, I need thee every hour. No, no, I need you every breath. It's a constant experiencing the life that is within you. Life can turn so quickly. Listen, we, it'd be wonderful if we could all just go home together and have the choir sing hallelujah chorus every morning and somehow we'd be really probably <laughs> ticked at each other. But anyway, by the time we... But it'd be wonderful to have all the, all the bells and whistles, but we don't have them. We leave here, we go home. Some people by themselves. Some people, their spouse is gone. Some people with family that they can't get along with. That's where it comes to play, right there. If, we, if we're not going to live it out there, it's not going to work anywhere. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law, watch this carefully, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. No, that's not the way we're to walk now. We walk according to the Spirit. All that the law of God, He requires, that character of those Ten Commandments, all that the law of God requires in us can be produced through us because Christ lives in us. So I guess the question is this morning, let's get real personal about it. Are we celebrating the risen Lord? Is He producing His love in you for your wife or your husband that He demands? <laughs> That's one of the things I always go to because when people argue with me, oh, come on, Wayne. God's our cheerleader. We can get this stuff done. We're believers now, a brand new nature. Yeah, right. He commands that we love our wives as Christ loved the church. But now you go try that, and then wives, will you come back and tell me how these lunkheads are doing? Because we can't. Only Christ can produce what he demands in our life. Is he producing the patience in you for those who live and work around you that drive you nuts? Oh, I didn't think it worked there. Better work there. That's his enabling power. I said this in the second service, but maybe I ought to say it here too. Is he producing self-control when you couldn't get a seat for the services this morning? <laughs> I don't know if that happened. Or not. 
Is he producing his gentle spirit when you deal with opinionated and obstinate people? You know, God knows exactly who drives me nuts. They parachute. He parachutes them out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, they're there. And I'm thinking, God, let me pray for them. Get rid of them. <laughs> you feel that way sometimes, don't you? But God says, no, no. I used to say if it wasn't for people, I could live the Christian life. <laughs> Sounded clever. But the older I've gotten, I realize if it wasn't for people, I wouldn't even understand how to live the Christian life. Circumstances are one thing, but the people that will drive you nuts. And God says, now love them. I can't love them. I don't even like them. And God says, yeah, no. Now let me produce what I demand out of you. Bow before me, Wayne. Stop trying to do it yourself. Just let me be who I am in your life. Well, we have to learn. If we're going to celebrate his life today, we're going to have to learn that we put no confidence in our flesh, our own ability to live the Christian life. It's got to be in his power. Instead, we must learn to totally trust him to produce everything he requires in us us he has to produce it you know i'm the worst golfer in this church and anybody that plays golf in here is smiling and saying you're exactly right <laughs> steve especially steve mccary my handicap is 25 because that's as far as they'll let me go i think carl my brother-in-law and i played in a tournament recently and we scored 101 i thought that's pretty good when i was playing basketball that's a great score doesn't quite work that way in golf one of my dear friends that's in heaven had a privilege of doing part of his funeral at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis was Dr. Stephen Olford, precious, precious, precious man. Always had time for you. He was the chaplain for the PGA. And one of the things he would say, love golf. He would say this all the time. He said, golf is an important part of your sanctification. He said, if you don't play golf, you don't understand the flesh. You don't understand failure. <laughs> Some of the men are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. You just go try it. And I promise you, next time you talk to me, you think you got it down. And the next time you go, nothing works. It's just amazing. I've seen people throw clubs over the pond. By the way, you ever notice these people that throw their clubs over the pond and not in the pond? So they're expressing their anger, but they want to keep the clubs. So they, they throw their, I mean, it's amazing. One of the things he tried to tell me, one of the things everybody's tried to tell me, and I can't get it, I can't get it, is this. Let the club do its work. Don't try to overpower the club. Every time I get into it, my shoulder sports and everything else is all, all I've ever played, football and basketball. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you've got to use something in here. And I try to really hit it. Have you ever tried to do that and it goes about 10 feet and everybody's laughing at you? Well, anyway, let the Lord do his work. Why are we trying so hard to help him? Why are we doing that? You see, that's the, that's the downside of this whole thing. We've got to learn. God, I can't. I'm trusting you to do what you... Listen, what is our work? Believing in Him. Believing in Him. Thirdly, to put it simply, and this is about as simple as I can make it, we must decrease so that He might increase. John the Baptist said of Christ in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the way it is for all of us. The Christian life is not about, again, living like Christ. It's letting Christ be Christ and live His life through us. It's about our dying daily and getting out of his way. And the way we die is by saying yes to him. You cannot say yes to the flesh and yes to him at the same time. Paul says in Philippians 3, 10, and 11, this is a focus two verses, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Why would Paul say, I want to know him? That's an that's a interesting question. Why, Paul, would you say you want to know Christ? You met him. You knew him on the Damascus Road. What's going on here? That's, listen, the word know is in the aorist tense and means more than just to be acquainted with him. It means to experience him. Paul says, I want to daily experience Christ. I want to experience his resurrection power and presence in my life. In, in each and everything that I do, I want to experience him. Resurrection is life that is wrought out of deadness. Paul said, I want to experience that life in the deadness of my inability. I want to experience his resurrection power that brings out the deadness of, that, of this inability of my flesh. I want to experience his love for those I don't even like. I want to experience his forgiveness for those who have treated me wrongly. I want to experience his hope in the valley of despair, in the valley of life's difficult circumstances. I, I, I just want to experience him. That's the whole focus of Paul's life. The religious man who counted on his works now completely has changed. In effect, I want to be life in the deadness of the world that's around me. When this takes place in our lives as it did in Paul's life, I can guarantee you that suffering will come. There's suffering if we do it our way. There's suffering if we do it God's way. And it's a different kind of suffering. How many times have you ever suffered and thought it was persecution when it was really self-inflicted? How many times I've stuck my foot in my mouth or I have caused something to happen and then thought I was being persecuted because I was suffering and when really I'm my biggest problem. Paul says when you let Jesus be Jesus in you, Jesus said they hated me, they'll hate you. By the way, that's exactly what's going on in this world today. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Jesus said it's coming. They hated me, they persecuted me, they're going to hate you, they're going to persecute you. He said, it's that life in us. It's that light that's within us. And our fellows, we begin to participate and we begin to share in the very sufferings of Christ. And then in verse 11, he says, in order that I may attain, means to arrive at a place, to the resurrection from the dead. It's in the aorist. He said, I, I don't think he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. You know, he, he said to Martha, he said, she said, yeah, one day when we die, we'll, there'll be a resurrection. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. What are you doing? A lot of people, people don't seem to, I don't think he's talking about that day. I think what he's saying is, I want that experience now. I want to experience life in the midst of the deadness right now. By saying that I've, so that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, I think Paul is just trying to, to teach, teach us we can experience it now. Why wait till we die to experience him? Paul says, no, man, he lives in you. Experience him now. That makes then that even that much better. Paul's talking about living on a higher plane, deadly. So dead to self and alive to Christ that people see Christ instead of us. When we are truly celebrating the resurrection of Christ, we, we, we place no confidence in our flesh and our own ability to live the Christian life. We've got to learn to... to Dead, trust Christ for everything. God, I can't do this. How many hundreds of times I say that every day? God, I can't do it to, to the Lord. Nobody hears me. But put it simply, we decrease so that he might increase. I guess the question is today, on Resurrection Sunday 2014, are we celebrating his life today? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. 
know that he is living, know whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. Join me. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. Here's the question. He lives within my heart. And we celebrate his life by yielding to it, letting him do the works that only he can do. You know, I haven't brought Bubba's his nickname, Edgar's his name. He's been a little bored because I hadn't brought him for a while. He uh, kind of reminds me of all of us apart from Christ, <laughs> dead fish. Before the cross, you hang the Ten Commandments over him, and, buddy, it convicts, it condemns him. Not a thing in, his, in him that can live up to what those, that law requires. He came to the cross, and life came in old Bubba. Look here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, whoa, whoa, what's going on with Bubba? He's different. But you know what? After the cross, if he chooses not to yield to Christ and do it his own way and make a religion out of what's a relationship, He's just like a dead fish again. Totally incapable of producing what God demands in his life. But thank God, the life is in there. Our granddaughter's here this week. Ellie, Ellie will be nine this next week. She came to help Diane and I celebrate our 45th anniversary. And Ellie kind of likes Bubba. But you know, I do too. Because it reminds me of me. Are you celebrating the risen Christ today?